following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. They'll know you've arrived when you drive up in the 1958 Edsel, the car that's truly new from nameplate to taillights. Connie! Oh, hello, Dennis. And now your host, Walt Disney. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Welcome to the Mid-Modcast, where we talk about everything mid-century modern. Lots of good stuff on tap today as we talk about Disneyland. Yay, the happiest Woo! place on earth. Who knew? We're going to talk about this today. I'm Craig. Who are uh, you people? I'm, I'm Paula. And this is Dave. Who's the leader of the we are excited to be doing this podcast, and especially as Disneyland is getting ready to reopen, and I, I guess uh, Florida also, right, Dave? Uh, Disney World is getting ready to reopen. And we have a lot of childhood memories of Disneyland, a lot of childhood feelings, and even though we're adults, we still kind of have that magical feeling about Disneyland in general. So we're going to be talking about that. I want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast, wherever you like to get your podcast. Give us a five-star rating. That pushes us up in the searchability and will make us famous beyond our wildest dreams. Well, maybe not. But <laughs> regardless, do share this with your friends who love mid-mod stuff. And uh, also find us on Facebook. Interact with us. We'd love to hear your childhood memories and uh, your thoughts about Disneyland, about mid-century modern, anything, any ideas that you have for future podcasts, we'd love to hear from you. So find our page on Facebook, uh, also Instagram, and we should probably start tweeting sooner or later, but we'll, we'll figure that out sooner or later. We'll get to it. Disneyland, open 1955. We're going to talk a lot about this today. But before we get into it, I want to ask you guys and I'll talk about it too, your childhood favorite rides and your adult favorite rides and attractions, by the way. So uh, Paula, your, your favorite sure. ride and or attractions as a child at Disneyland. You know, I always loved the wild rides and the something that would kind of scare me and thrill me. And Disneyland didn't have a whole lot of those. And the ones that they did have when I was a kid, uh, I wasn't too thrilled with. But there's one attraction you know i say people say rides but if you work at disneyland which i did you call them attractions i'm sorry i was a cast member that's right sorry Ooh, my bad anyway um my favorite uh, disney attraction was carousel of progress when i was a kid because of that really catchy Sherman Brothers tune. It's a great, big, big beautiful, beautiful tomorrow. tomorrow. We'll do another music program another end. time. Yeah, I was fascinated <laughs> by the, the moving seats, the, the song. There's just something about it that kind of got to me. And I also really loved the Pirates of the Caribbean as a kid as well. Those are magical. Yes. And, uh, you know, recently, uh, within the last couple of years, 
the Tomorrowland movie came out, and that was not greatly embraced. But I liked I it. I enjoyed it. I yeah, what's it was with fun. us? We like bombs. Yeah, we're, well, we like B movies too. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the way that it is. Dave, uh, you went to Disneyland uh, for the first time when you were about six years old. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So my family ventured out to the West Coast in 1971, and that was my my very first uh, experience with the Disneyland Park. Of course, I'd grown up watching it on TV, which we'll get into in just a little bit. Um, so I knew about the park, uh, listening to Walt uh, tell all those cool things about his, uh, his brainchild in Anaheim, California. And my favorite rides were usually the ones that had really, really whimsical, really cool uh, theming to them. So uh, as, as a six-year-old walking into Fantasyland uh, and seeing the beautiful, whimsical facade of oh. It's a Small World was just super cool to me. So even, oh. even as an adult, I love, um, I love going on that ride. Uh, pardon me, Paula, going on that attraction. <laughs> and, I mean, the thing is just so chock full of amazing theming and uh, the the the, mm. the music the music soundtrack by the Sherman Brothers um, is is an earworm definitely, but it brings back memories of that very first trip. And then I also have to say um, that. The Enchanted Tiki Room would have to be on the top of my list as well. Uh, especially on a hot day, you can get in out of the heat, uh, enjoy the um, yes. the air conditioning uh, air conditioned environment uh, while you enjoy a Dole Whip. And uh, Jose takes it away and kind of removes you from the park and takes you into that tropical fantasy. Yeah, I'd say that's my favorite ride as an adult going to Disneyland now. Your favorite what? My favorite. Oh, <laughs> busted. My favorite attraction. And, you know, especially because my husband likes to take, we all, I'm sorry, we go on it two or three times when we visit the park now. That's because right. we both want, he doesn't drag me, I, I go willingly. We, we sing with the birds and the flowers. Yes, right. Yeah, uh, as a child, now Paul and I were fortunate in that we grew up about 15 minutes from Disneyland. So, Anytime that we had relatives come into town or anything like that, of course, Disneyland yes. was, was up for the offering. We should do another program on Knott's Berry Farm also because uh -huh. there's another one from the same era. Yes. But so we would all go to Disneyland. It was usually the summer. And because of that, of course, it's hot. So you, you would definitely want to stop in on attractions like Small World, which is air conditioned. Uh, you, you'd want to definitely go to the Tiki Room. Great moments with Mr. Lincoln, another one. Uh, when you're a little kid, great place for a quick nap also. Great. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mr. Lincoln. Uh, for me, I liked, you know, being five, six years old, I liked the Peter Pan ride and uh, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. All those kinds of rides were fantastic for little bitty Craig. I was bitty at one time, actually. <laughs> I had a growth spurt. Uh, but anyway, yeah. uh, those were probably some of my favorites. And of course, the Tiki Room was always magical, and it still is magical for me. Every time that we go, no matter how many times in a day we go, it's always magical. And we we bang the drums along with the uh, yeah. with the Tiki guys, or at least fake. And, I think we uh, know the entire sequence oh yeah. of the... Yeah, we, we can sing the whole thing pretty much. So uh, Tiki Room, 
also, um, I, I'm thinking, gosh, sometime in our teens, Space Mountain opened. Yeah. At Space Mountain, a roller coaster in the dark was revolutionary. That was just high thrill right there, even though there aren't any big drops or anything That's like that. That's it. No big uh, drops. Just a lot of fun, just screaming around in the dark and all of that good stuff. You know, the other one that I really loved were the rockets where you went around in circles. You go up oh. the tower. What was that called? Uh, the, you go up that elevator and get the on rocket the rockets. ride. Yeah, yes. you go up on the elevator and, and you're over the whole park. Gosh, you know, it's hard to say that I just had one or two favorites because those sky buckets were also amazing. Just I'm like a little going. stunned right now that you mentioned Mr. Lincoln as one of your favorite childhood uh, rides. Great for getting in out of that, the heat. Okay, because that was never a and, and great <laughs> for great for a nap when you're five years old. Okay, it's nice you're and dark really and cool little. And, oh, okay, yeah. that makes sense. Then. Yeah. Well, <laughs> even as an adult, I like a nap in there too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So anyway, uh, it's all fun. I'm going to start us out, since I'm the history geek, with a little bit of history about Walt Disney and what brought him up to the whole Disneyland thing. Walt Disney was born December 5th, 1901. At 16 years old, his family moved around a bit. He was born in Chicago, ended up in Missouri for a while there. When he was 16 years old, World War I broke out. He was too young to join the military, so he joined the Red Cross as an ambulance driver for the war effort in Europe. And he and Hemingway have this in common. Not that they knew each other, but they were both ambulance drivers for the Red Cross during World War I. That's, maybe we should do a Hemingway episode also because he was pretty popular in the day. He saw all sorts of terrifying things and everything else, which helped him to grow up really quickly. Walt always loved to draw, and on the side of his ambulance, he even drew cartoons and that sort of thing. So he'd come and pick you up and all bloodied and missing a leg, and there's a drawing on the side of the ambulance for you. So that's, that's nice. But this also helped him to keep his focus on what he found to be really important, and that was cartoons. And he became a draftsman at the age of 18 in Kansas City, uh, there he met a guy who would be a lifelong friend and fellow cartoonist, you, uh, Ub Iwerks. I can't ever say his name right. Ub Iwerks. And uh, Walt was getting a little work here and there. In 1923, his brother Roy moved to Los Angeles, and he invited Walt to come out and live with him. And Walt saw the opportunity in Hollywood, so he went. And soon Walt and Roy opened their own studio. 1928, Steamboat Willie was released, and the rest is kind of history because Walt and Roy had created something really new and special, sound in cartoons. So this was kind of, Walt is always on the cutting edge of things, and it's always amazing to see the fruition of these things as Walt goes along in life. In the 1940s, Walt and Roy moved to Burbank and opened what is now Walt Disney Studios. 1950, always at the front end of technology, television. Disney Studios releases Treasure Island. And 1950, television is still pretty new. A lot of homes didn't have televisions at this point. Disneyland, uh, as Walt started to look around, he started to remember being a child and standing at the gates of an amusement park in Kansas City without enough money to get in. And Walt said to his sister when they were children, someday I'm going to have a park like this of my own, but mine will be clean. 
And if you go to Disneyland, that's one thing that it is, is clean. And it always has been, always will be. As an adult, Walt would take his kids to ride the merry-go-round, which kept the dream of having his own park alive. 1955, for $17 million, three times the original estimate, Walt opens the doors of Walt of, of Disneyland, rather. Uh, four lands, and I believe, one of you can correct me on this, 24 attractions, if I'm not mistaken. There may have been more, but I'm not positive on that. Walt said it was all started by a mouse. The first Mickey Mouse cartoon was the year of Charles Lindbergh, which he flew across the Atlantic. The cartoon was called Plane Crazy, which was about Mickey and Minnie's misadventures in flying. And from there, it went on and on and on. Mickey finally won an Academy Award later on, and everything started to get a little crazier there. Mickey also gained some weight along the way. Uh, <laughs> soon added to the cast were other characters like Pluto, Goofy, Donald, and others. 1940, Walt releases Fantasia and groundbreaking animation there also. All of this whimsy, whimsy and fantasy fed the dream of Disneyland. Disneyland and Walt Disney Studios started to feed each other television programs with ABC who helped fund Disneyland in exchange for Walt having his programs on ABC. <laughs> Different lands of Disneyland were featured alongside of the subject matter, Tomorrowland, the Realm of Tomorrow, Science Factual Series, The Coming Conquest of Space. 1950s conquest of space we're looking forward at this time and some of the technology that walt was dreaming of has finally come to fruition with the mars rover and spacex and we still aren't quite where walt dreamt that we would be but we're getting closer and closer all the time Fantasyland, many cartoons and fantasy stories went alongside of fantasy land including peter pan cinderella dumbo song of the south which is considered not pc now Alice in Wonderland and others, some of these programs and cartoons predated Disneyland, but it worked together with all of the lands. Uh, Frontierland, programs like Davy Crockett. Adventureland, nature programs like the Galapagos Islands, the Curious Ways of the Penguins of Blue Men of Morocco, and one that's really not politically correct, which featured bullfights in Portugal. And I love that the narrator says, and the bulls are having fun too, as the bulls are chasing around all the matadors. And of course, the bulls have the little spears in their backs, which looks like a lot of fun uh, if you're not a bull, I guess. Uh, they touted 30 camera, tree, uh, 30 camera teams in the four corners of the world uh, sent out to create programming for these films. 1966, Walt Disney died due to lung cancer at the age of 65. Cigarettes were considered healthy until just shortly before this. And finally, we discover they aren't healthy and Walt paid the ultimate price due to his smoking stories abounded that Walt was having his Fred, his, his head cryogenically frozen. Yeah. Uh, not true, but still fun lore. Nonetheless, Disney corporation has grown and grown and now is a multi-billion dollar company with multiple TV net networks, motion picture studios, vacation resorts, theme parks, a record label, and who knows what else. Just remember, whereas Walt couldn't afford to get into that theme park in Kansas City, now you may not be able to afford to get into <laughs> Disneyland or other Disney resorts because they're really expensive now. But we hope that you can, and we hope you can take your family because it really is a magical kingdom and the happiest place on earth. little fun fact, 
1955, the admission when Disneyland opened, the year that it opened, was $1 for adults and 50 cents for children. That was admission. Of course, you had to buy tickets on top of that. 2020, the admission is $104 for an adult and $98 for a child. So clearly outpacing inflation. But to be fair, there are many more attractions and they're even more spectacular than Walt imagined that they would be. Is it worth the money? That's up to you to decide. I think it is, but that's up to you. Walt Disney's Disneyland. When you wish upon a star, makes no difference. Well, I'm going to talk about opening day, and uh, Craig, a little bit of this might be overlap since uh, you did mention the um, forays uh, that Disney made into television. But in 1954, the American Broadcasting Company, a.k.a. ABC TV, approached Walt Disney to produce a one-hour TV show to fill out their programming schedule. It was a win-win since, in the process, ABC provided some much-needed funds to finish construction of the park. Walt used the show as a way to build up interest and excitement for Disneyland. So, you know, we were talking about our childhood memories earlier, um, me going with my family for the very first time in 1971. I was that kid who sat on the floor in the living room watching Walt uh, talk about uh, Disneyland and I couldn't wait to go. I went much later, obviously, but um, still. It was great seeing those anniversary shows and what's new in the park and all that great stuff. So for this show, simply titled Disneyland, Walt had his studio talent produce episodes about the behind-the-scenes behind efforts to build the park. The viewers saw a scale model of what the park would look like, footage of attraction design and construction, and the clearing and preparation of the Orange Grove, in Anaheim, California, where the park would be built. Then a year uh, later, uh, like you said, Craig, in 1955, a huge TV audience tuned in to the Disneyland TV show on July 17th to watch opening day proceedings unfold right in front of them in their own living rooms. It must have been pretty exciting. 29 cameras were set up throughout the four lands of the park, and the whole event was hosted by Walt himself, along with other well-known TV and film celebrities of the day, namely Art Linkletter, Bob Cummings, and Ronald Reagan. By the way, to coincide with Walt's 100th birthday in 2001, the Disney company re released Wave 1 of its Treasures DVD sets, which came in these cool collectible tins, and Ooh, I need to look for those. Yeah, there, um, there, there's quite a bit of them, and... A lot of them are out of print now, so they do kind of go for top dollar, but um, they're, they're really great products. And the set entitled Disneyland USA contains uh, episodes from the opening day, along with episodes from the two other iterations of the Disney series. There were three altogether, the original one in 1954, Disneyland, and then in the early 60s, might have been due to a change of network, perhaps. Uh, the show changed to World of Color. And then when I was a kid, uh, in the late 60s, it was known as The Wonderful World of Disney. Um, 
So these Treasures DVD sets, um, the one referred to as Disneyland USA, has episodes from all three versions of the show. Wor- worth seeking out. Oh. But getting back to opening day, it's the, it's the stuff of legend now, but this was pretty much a disaster uh, for Walt and his park. So, oh. you know, a lot of planning went into uh, uh, Disneyland, but they had to hurry up and open the park or rather construct the park in a year because he had set July of 1955 uh, as the opening and you know they started a year previous so there was a lot of work to do uh, to create um, to create Disneyland but uh, some of the things that didn't go too well on opening day some of the more popular attractions were not ready for operation such as Dumbo and Peter Pan Due to a plumber strike, water fountains weren't working on a day when the temperature reached 100 degrees. So I believe the story goes Walt had to make a decision. Um, either get the toilets, the restrooms up and running, or get the rest, uh, the water fountains operating. And I think the decision was made that if people got thirsty, they could buy a Pepsi or something. So uh, they, they decided to open the, the restrooms. And then, (laughs) and this was technically a by invitation only press event. So with diehard Disney fans, some people say opening day is really December 18th because that's when it opened to the general public. But the press event uh, was on July 17th and 15,000 official invitations were distributed to the press and various celebrities of the day. But party crashers with counterfeit invitations pushed the uh, attendance, the overall attendance, to about twenty-eight thousand. So uh, they were they were basically bursting at the gills uh, on that on that very first day. Um, and then later, I, I think twenty-eight thousand is a pretty light day these days. If if you have twenty-eight thousand people in the park, that's kind of a light day, sure. isn't it? Yeah, I think yes. yes. So much, it's bigger now. <laughs> It is bigger, yeah. But you have to take into consideration perhaps the the attractions the attractions were not as high capacity as as they are today. But right, yeah. right. Anyway, um, and then you know, legend has it that later cast members who worked on opening day uh, often referred to it as Black Sunday. What <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, but of course we know it became, uh, it became a huge success once they got all the kinks worked out. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's the, the flagship park of the Disney resorts. And to me, it's nearest and dearest to my heart. So go back any chance, uh, that I get, but so Paula, once the park was up and running and successful, there were offerings for guests that we might not have heard much about. Here comes the circus. Everyone loves the circus. And that includes the Merry Mouseketeers. Clowns in the circus. Keep the frowns from the circus as the old calliope rings in your ear. Yes, I kind of looked up. uh, First, I looked up the attractions at Disneyland that are still there today. And I think there, I believe there are about 13 of them. Um, And then I looked up attractions that didn't last long 
you know, that opening year of 1955. And I came up with, popped up the Mickey Mouse Club Circus. And also in that list was Professor Keller and his feline fantastics. So that really sparked my curiosity because I've never heard of either of those. And ever since I read the um, book Water for Elephants, I've always been a little bit obsessed with the circus, especially early circus in the in the big, big top tent. So I started to chase a few rabbit tail rabbit rabbit holes, going down a few rabbit holes <laughs> and checking out this this particular uh, attraction. And I found out it opened on November 24th, 1955 for Christmas and it closed January 8th of the the following year, so 1956. So it was basically supposed to be a, a quick, I mean, a, a limited attraction, but they were hoping to bring it uh, further down the the pike and and really expand it. And it, it has a reputation of being Walt Disney's first big bombs. And mm. what it was, yeah, it, what it was, there were, uh, it was a circus. There were more than 80 animals and over 70 performers that were picked by Walt Disney personally. And you know, Disney, they, they choose the very best in entertainment and performers. They do not half it they, they go full on. And so it included this Professor George Keller and the, his feline Fantastics. And it was formerly known, he was actually called, it was called Keller's Jungle Killers. And it was fresh from Ringling Brothers, but he uh, Walt Disney changed the name to be more family friendly. He didn't think Keller's Jungle Killers was a very <laughs> good name. So he he changed it to Keller's Feline Fantastics. Not the wholesome family name. That no, right? Yeah. And, um, and it introduced for the very first time. Well, I actually believe the Mouseketeers were there uh, on opening day, but for the first time in person, the Mickey Mouse Club Mouseketeers and uh, Jimmy Dodd was the ringmaster and good old Mm. Roy Williams was supposed to be the circus strongman. And you can actually find little snippets of this this uh, circus on YouTube. It's very rare, but I will definitely post it to our Facebook page because you do not want to miss this, dear listeners. It opened on Thanksgiving Day with this old-time circus parade. And the, uh, Walt Disney, of course, you know, went for the best. He acquired some magnificent old-time circus wagons and um, a beautiful calliope, which was very expensive and very 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 beautiful um they light the christmas light they were lighting the christmas lights on main street and all the new christmas old-fashioned christmas displays were all up on on main street when this all started and well i wanted to add that uh good old walter not you know the the lesser theme park nearby in buena park he was quoted as as saying oh everybody's gonna forget about knott's berry farm now that it's christmas time and Walt Disney kind of heard that quote and he said, I do not want people to forget about Disneyland at Christmas time. We're going to make this big and incredible. So he bought and, and purchased a giant big top with red and white stripes. It actually had permanent seating, not some temporarily temporary folding chair for 2,500 people. And so it was the biggest circus tent at that time. And the circus tent uh, was located in Holiday Land, which I had to do a little research about because I'd never heard of it. And it it reached all the way through Fantasyland where the Matterhorn supposedly is. But the problem was it cost Disneyland park goers extra money. So it was 50 cents uh, for each seat which I guess you said Disneyland was 50 cents for a child. 
And so it was 50 cents for children and adults. And if you wanted to reserve your seat, it was a whole dollar. The whole thing costs more than $30,000. Not only was it the world's largest circuits tent, it was the only heated tent. So they paid to have this thing heated in California. But okay, well, it gets chilly it in gets the winter, chilly. especially so, in the evening. Yeah, and it is Christmas time. And so with Christmas and all this beautiful decoration in the parade, they are expecting over 200,000 people to see this magnificent circus. And I already mentioned the YouTube video. And if you could go to um, this uh, Mickey Mouse Club circus, you see all the animals and you see beautiful elephants, people riding, and you see good old Mouseketeer Karen, who's one of our favorites, little Karen and Cubby, riding a pink elephant i believe there are yellow elephants so i was hoping you know there would be a little less animal cruelty and and more dignified but you see uh elephants all painted different colors not cool <laughs> so what could go wrong with this fantastic adventure because walt disney you know he loved himself a good circus and what made it one of Disneyland's first and utter disasters? Well, first off, think about circus performers. These people had been in the Ringley Brothers and, and other circus, big circus name. They drank, they gambled, and they swore heavily in between shows. Walt was not happy with that behavior, and uh, a lot of the Mouseketeers were around during all of this drinking, gambling, and swearing too. The live animals were very unruly. The llamas spit and they escaped at one point down Main Street and all flocked onto the railroad track. <laughs> Predatory animals got into fights in their cages. They actually had a, a segment of the circus that was just reserved for people to go look at the animals um, after the per between performances. And they got into some big, pro some big fights. They had a split cage wagon that they rolled hauled down Main Street. Um, but in the parade, they had two parades a day before the circus. And in the split cave, a, ti a tiger managed to wedge its paw around the partition. And apparently the panther chewed it right off. Oh, my. Yeah. So that wow. is another thing. And then on opening night, the female trapeze artist had a big uh, wardrobe malfunction. She <laughs> lost her brassiere while flying through the air with the greatest of ease. And uh, the funny part was that Walt Disney actually thought this was kind of funny. He <laughs> thought it was great fun. Uh, but more than the little mishaps of the circus, less than a quarter of the seats were filled. Um, people did not want to go to Disneyland to see a circus. They could go to Orange County and see the circus there. Well, especially when it would double the admission price. Yes. Right? Yes, right. Um, so they wanted to come and see Mickey Mouse. But so eventually, because of poor attendance, they did, they were going to put the Mouseketeer, after the circus thing, they were going to put the Mouseketeers in a, a Mouseketeer roundup. But that did not materialize after this disaster. They lost so much money. Um, and I also wanted to, to add, oh, another sad, <laughs> horrible thing. You know, we I talked about Professor Keller, who was actually a college professor for over 30 years before he got into the circus biz with his wild animals. And he his claim to fame is that he never used a whip, he never used a chair on these <laughs> felines, felines. And I thought that, oh good, you know, we've got something humane, you know, in, in this whole story. But apparently all the felines were declawed and tranquilized before each show. One of his, um, he had a quote, and one of his biggest fears was that one of the felines would topple on him and fall asleep. 
So they were heavily sedated. And I'm going to kind of talk, give, give you a couple Mouseketeer quotes to close this all off. And here's one of our good old favorite Mouseketeers, Bobby. And Bobby Burgess, he, he has very fond memories of this whole experience. He says, that was so much fun. We had a great time. My mom and Sharon's mom were Chip and Dale. So apparently the parents got really involved. Many of the parents got involved in this whole thing too. So his mom were Chip and Dale. They got $6 per day for two shows. We got to ride elephants. We got to ride horses. We were in aerial act. We dressed up as Peter Pan and girls were Tinkerbell and they turned off the lights and we glowed in the dark as we swung the girls through the space. It was a blast. They even made some 3D pictures for us for Viewmaster Reels. That's another blast from our past, those Viewmaster Reels. Yeah. It wasn't a big success, but it was put on by the Ted Duane Circus, which was a professional circus troupe. They had camels and zebras, a lion and a tiger act and elephants. It was a big deal. We had fun on that one. It was, I was called a web setter for my part in the flying act. Mouseketeer Bonnie would climb to near the top of the tent on a rope, and I would twirl her around and around on a ladder. So there's my Mouseketeer Bobby quote. Now, I'm going to give you Mouseketeer Lonnie quote, which is a little <laughs> different than Mouseketeer Bobby's quote. Since our contract, here we go. <clears throat> Sorry, here we go. Quote. Since our contract guaranteed 22 weeks of pay out of the 26 for each six-month option, they made damn sure we used all the 22 weeks and all the six days, which gave rise to our performances in the Mickey Mouse Club Circus. After the opening day parade all around the ring, we changed costumes, and midway through the circus act, we did our insipid specialty. The girls struck various ballet poses on a suspended ladder, which the boys carefully swung back and forth. Not very creative, but nerve wracking since the girls could easily fall and be hurt badly. They would mount their ladders and then be pulled up to nine or 10 feet to do their routine. I heard Cubby and Karen did a small bit with one of the big cat acts, but I don't remember seeing it. I have no idea what Roy did as a strongman other than appear in the parade. Jimmy did more as the ringmaster, the controlled tawdriness of the whole environment did not please me. It was like being around a lot of convicts without guards. <laughs> <laughs> the men and women were rough-edged and tough. And we end on a happy note. One of the perks was that before the park opened, we got to go on the rides for free and as much as we wanted. So good old Mouseketeer Lonnie ends on a very happy note. <laughs> and I am going to definitely post this on Facebook because there's a wonderful section of them uh, riding in a kind of a sled and a bunch of chariots and the guy's got a cigarette right hanging right out of his mouth and he's driving uh santa claus and one of the mouseketeers around in this at, at the backstage then they head into the circus tent because santa claus always has to you know close the parade so that is my rendition of the mickey mouse club circus and professor keller and his feline fantastics nice thank nice. you wow that that is really interesting i i'm a yeah. lover of disney and disneyland history and i i've heard a little bit about the the mouseketeer circus but um, yes that was very in-depth uh thanks a lot paul i oh, interesting that, 
Yeah, it just it just kept going. It just kept getting more bizarre and more bizarre as I kept going. So I'm like, I have got to share this. <laughs> I got to let it so, out. <laughs> so I'm curious in your research, did you um, because, you know, Disneyland has to always uh, get their money's worth out of an in, out of an investment. Uh, yes. Did that did that circus tent ever get repurposed for any other attractions or shows? Um, I know that it did get repurposed for a while because they did keep Professor Keller for a while. So he kept oh. on performing until sep- September, I believe, the following year. Um, I'm not sure about the actual tent, but many of the floats and the calliope were sold off. They A lot of them appeared in other movies, Disney and or otherwise. So mm. he did repurpose a lot of the props and the things that he had purchased for that a particular circus in movies. Maybe the tent got repurposed as well. I am not sure about that. Yeah, it is interesting how Disney just keeps old props yes. and all sorts of stuff. I and mean, they they just keep rolling them out over and over again until yes. they're used up pretty yes, much. Yes, they had titles of many movies that use these particular right. wagons mm. and things. Wow. You, you know, I want to cool. talk briefly about the Tiki Room just because <laughs> it's the Tiki Room. And I have a special attachment to the Tiki Room. It was founded on my birthday a year before I was born. 1963, June 23rd. You can send me gifts if you like. Yes. Uh, Anything related to the Tiki Room, I'm more than happy to have. But uh, it's just really such a special place because it was initially designed to be a dinner theater kind of thing with these audio animatronic birds and flowers and everything else. And they discover that it kind of works better as a show. And so the Tiki Room kind of had its genesis in the idea of being a dinner theater. Of course, the Tahitian Terrace opened up right next door, which was a place to eat. And they had hula dancers and all that kind of stuff, too. But uh, the Tiki Room has a deep, deep history all its own. I just wanted to touch briefly on that because of my special attachment. We share the same birthday, the Tiki (laughs) Room and I. So there's that. Dave, any any last thoughts before we uh, take up our final uh, question of the day? Well, no. Um, I was just going to say, uh, kind of um, jumping the gun a little bit, uh, I, I just like to think back on, you know, being a kid and sitting and watching uh, on Sunday evenings is when the wonderful world of Disney came on, which again was the iteration yes. of the show that was around during um, my my age, um, my youth. And I remember uh, the Six Million Dollar Man, I think, came on right after it. So Sunday was like <laughs> the super cool TV night for me because I got to watch Disney and also the Six Million Dollar Man, which when I was a kid, I loved that show. Now, was that the and same then, night that Emergency would run also? That was Saturday night. I can't remember. Emergency was Saturday nights. For some reason, yeah, there's a connection for me. Wasn't the other uh, big draw on Sunday evening um, the Mutual of Omaha? Ooh, Wild Kingdom. Marlon Perkins. Wild Kingdom. Oh, my parents. Yes. <laughs> yes made, they made us watch Loved that. Loved it. <laughs> so, uh, last, and you kind of started to touch on it, Dave. Last thoughts right. of... As we were children and all things Disney, any special memories that you have of Disneyland or just anything Disney? I think you you touched on one there, Dave. Anything else on your end that you'd like to mention? 
Well, as far as the park itself, um, a really cool memory I have is back in 2005, my wife and I uh, made the trek from St. Louis to Anaheim. Uh, we, we did a road trip trying to reproduce the, the, the trip the, the trip that took me to Disneyland for the very first time in wow. 1971. And along the way, my parents took us to places like um, Four Corners, New Mexico, the Grand Canyon, um, Las Vegas, and then the, the big penultimate um, destination was the Disneyland Park. And that, that trip's always going to be etched in my memory. And the cool thing for 2005 was that Disneyland celebrated its 50th anniversary. So my wife had also visited the park uh, as a child as well. She went um, the first time around the same age that I was. So uh -huh. we both uh, got to talk about our memories of going for the first time as we drove all the way out to <laughs> Anaheim. So anyway, that's, uh, that, oh, that, that's a, a great memory for me, the 50th anniversary. Oh, fabulous. Paula, any uh, childhood memories? Well, you know how you kind of have your first memory? One of my first memories of my childhood was uh, on my dad's shoulder. So I must have been very little. And we walked onto the haunted mansion. And any child, you know, who walks onto the haunted mansion for the first time is, is a, a little scared, but, you know, a little awestruck. And I remember my dad kind of looking up at the lights and he said, look at the flickering lights. So every time I go on the Haunted Mansion, I always look for the flickering lights in that entrance room and they are That's still great. there. Yes, it's it was a interesting memory. And then I also have, um, like I mentioned that I always like the Carousel of Progress. One of the, my husband and I actually go, got to go to Disney World. And um, this actually, uh, Disney World actually has kept some of the rides from our childhood that Disneyland hasn't. And we got to go on the Carousel of Progress as adults. And that was a really, really neat experience, except the sound wasn't working. <laughs> right. So we got onto the attraction <laughs> and all we could hear were the click, click, click of the animatronics. And for some reason, the dog barking was working in the whole first scene. So it was like click, click, click click rough rough and at the very end Interesting. Well, the, yeah the grandfather <laughs> just says well i guess i've talked your off for this <laughs> and the whole audience just burst into laughter and then the seats moved into the next scene and the the sound came on <laughs> i actually got all that on video i don't know if i still oh, have it or not but yeah. it was pretty hilarious actually so um, they actually ran the whole entire show with no audio uh just the it, first it was the scene. first scene or two the, the that old, was like just the first fashion. scene okay right yeah right. yeah <laughs> and also growing up i always knew when it was about 9 35 because the fireworks would go off and we could all, you could hear the Disneyland fireworks around all around Disneyland. So when I'm uh, visiting my hometown, I always go, oh, I'm home because I, it's 935, the Disneyland fireworks are going off. When I was little, every now and then my brothers and I would climb out on the roof and you could see them <gasps> oh. off in the distance just barely. Oh. But you, you could wow. hear them all over. Oh. Uh, probably for 20, 25 miles, you'd hear the boom, boom, boom in the distance yes. of the fireworks. Uh, for me, some of my greatest childhood memories revolve around uh, Nancy. Uh, Nancy oh. was a dear friend of the family. She's my godmother. Uh, she was also the manager of Bank of America. And so we would go to Disneyland sometimes. 
when there was the parade going on and we'd go to the upstairs of the Bank of America there and right off Main Street and the parade would come around. So we had just prime seats up in the second story of the Bank of America building looking down on the parade. That was really magical. There was a re-release also of Mary Poppins and she took me to see Mary Poppins. I think maybe it was the 10th anniversary, you know, probably more like the fifth or sixth anniversary or something. I was little and that was a really magical time for me. So growing up at Disneyland was always wonderful. Of course, uh, growing up in, in Christian schools, private schools in California, there was Christian School Day. Yep. And uh, I think it was uh, by the time I was in third grade, something like $7.50 for the ticket book. And I did we that would too. go and just that. have a blast. And uh, if you were upper grade or like fourth grade and above, our teachers would usually cut us loose to travel in packs of wild children. And that was always fun. Uh, you bring your sack lunch. And yes. of course, there was always the frozen can of soda in the in the sack lunch for some reason, <laughs> my mom. And uh, it was just a wonderful day uh, to be able to do that as a kid. Just really, really amazingly blessed to live in such a place at such an age. Uh, California is not what it once was. Oh, before I forget, did you always have a drawer in your desk full of old Disneyland tickets? Yes. I'm curious as if if most Southern Californians had that growing up. Yeah, because you'd, you'd have all your relatives come out and visit yes. and you go to Disneyland. And what was left? A, a ticket. Yeah, did you have a bunch of torn out of the back? And yeah, you just well, these... what's the remnants of the ticket book? Yes, right. By the way, the ticket books were really an interesting thing also. that That's a whole other thing that we could talk about as well, but we're kind of running short on time. Okay. The ticket books were sold starting 1959 and phased out around 1981-82 for the all-admission pass that you have now. Uh, but the ticket books were $3.50 in 1959, and you got a certain amount of A, B, C, D, and E tickets. Uh, the E tickets were introduced a little bit later, but those were the really great rides. Uh, e tickets included the railroad trains, uh Rocket to Mars, that, uh, or Rocket to the Moon, rather. The Submarine Voyage, the Monorail. Um, Wait, E? Or yeah, E, Matterhorn. Really? Oh, okay. That um, makes sense. Let's see here. Rainbow Ridge Pack Mules. That's an E-ticket? Yeah, that was an E-ticket. Mark oh. Twain Steamboat was also an E-ticket. That sounds uh, the like The Columbia, a... which is a story in and of itself because it was always there but rarely ran when we were kids, right. even as adults. Tom Sawyer's Island Rafts and uh, Jungle Cruise was another one. So huh. um, those were e-ticket rides. Of course, later on, Space Mountain and other rides like that would become e-ticket rides. And that was right around the time of the transition also. But yeah, you would end up with a whole drawer full of the A-tickets because they really didn't have a whole lot of great rides with those. You could ride the streetcar, the fire wagon, yeah. King Arthur Carousel, Space Station X1, which I don't know. Uh, 20,000 League Exhibit didn't last very long. It became the submarine ride. So that those yeah. were the ones that you always had left over because you always wanted to go for the e-tickets. And, of course, once you ran out of e-tickets, you could always buy more. So there Oh, was and I that. did calculate how much that would be. $3 nowadays would calculate to be $26.43 yeah. with inflation. And uh, $3.50 would calculate to be $30.84. In so, 2020. Right. The, the price of Disney is well outpaced inflation, but, but as you said, it earlier. is that much more spectacular <laughs> yes. than it was when it first opened. 
So, dear listener, we want to uh, ask you to join us on Facebook and tell us about any childhood memories that you have, favorite rides, attractions, and all that kind of stuff on, on uh, at Disneyland or any memories of Disney in general. Dave, any last thoughts before we wrap it up? No, thanks Thanks to everybody for joining us for this uh, special episode on yes. Disneyland. Yeah. Awesome. Paula, any, any last thoughts? Well, I just hope everybody has a great time who's getting back into the park. I want to simply leave with this, the optimism of the mid-century. Walt Disney said, if you can dream it, you can do it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Disneyland has now ended its normal operating day. We hope you enjoyed your visit to the Magic Kingdom and that the memories you've made will bring you back again soon. While the rest of the park closes, Main Street will remain open for an additional hour for your shopping convenience. Thank you.